Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. My name is Nick. I am the youth pastor. That's right, you have stumbled into the B team. I, uh, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. You know, should, you should know, though, that most of my audience are teenagers, and so you guys are different. <laughs> Fortunately, I can't see you very well because the lights are right in my eyes, which is good because no offense to you, but I don't really want to see you. Makes this harder for me. Um, no, but I love to teach. I really do. It's one of my favorite things, and I'm so glad, you know, Charlie, he's not doing this because he doesn't care about this service. He's doing it because he cares about me, and he wants to build me up and make me a better leader and teacher and church person. So I'm really glad I get to be here today. Um, you know, I, uh, I've lived in America for a while. I have a wonderful wife. Her name's Rachel. She was up there singing. We have three beautiful children, Kate, Harper, and Cash. And it's a great life. I I've, I've, didn't grow up here. You know, I've had lots of friends uh, since I've been in Texas try to slap one of those bumper stickers on my car that says, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as fast as I could. Uh, I've taken them all off, not because I don't like Texas, but because I hate bumper stickers. Um, so, no, when I, my dad was in the Air Force, so I lived all over the place. And when people ask me questions now, like, where are you from? You know, this is weird, but when I was growing up, nobody asked that question, ever. Like, I'd move to a new base and no one would start the conversation. So where are you from? Because there really, everybody, there was no answer to that question. There was no, where are you from? I didn't know. I lived everywhere. I mean, I, I'll tell you the short version. Where are you from? Spain, California, Florida, Philippines, Hawaii, Italy, Germany. That's my hometown, as it were. Um, but I, because I like you guys, I'll, I'll stretch it out a little bit. I'll give you a little bit more of an answer. You know, I, I haven't taught on this stage till today. And so you guys, you know, you get to hear a little bit more about who I am and where I grew up and all those things. And then I'll get into the important stuff. So if you need to check Facebook or Instagram, now's the time. Um, no, so I was born in Spain. I was born in Spain. Don't remember it at all. No memories whatsoever. It was probably some bullfighting going on. Other than that, I have no idea. Then we moved to California. And I have some vague memories of California. I'm I'm pretty sure at some point or another, either I stuck a pencil in somebody's ear or they stuck a pencil in my ear. A pencil went in somebody's ear. I don't remember whose it was. I think I also might have eaten a poisonous mushroom on the yard or something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm alive, so it worked out. Then from California, we moved to Florida. And in Florida, my little sister was born. That was pretty cool. We lived in a city called Niceville, which, I mean, if you're afraid that your town is not going to be well-received, just call it Niceville, and everyone will be happy all the time. Um, I'll also put it in Florida. That'll that'll help as well. Um, So then from Florida, we moved way across the world to a place called the Philippines. We lived in the Philippines, and I have lots of memories of this place. It was a kid paradise. It was crazy. Now, you know, I didn't know this, but during the time that I was living there, they didn't want us there. There was lots of protests and there were like terrorist activities happening outside the base all the time. I remember one time we went to school and outside the base, there was this big like cinder block wall with like glass on the top. I just thought it was decorative. No, it was there to keep bad people out. And the school was right next to this wall. And Every once in a while, you'd just see a giant raging fire behind the wall. And it was like, hey, cool, there's the fire. And we'd run to it like moths. But it was like 
terrorists trying to freak us out. I didn't know. I was a little kid. And uh, so we moved from the Philippines, not because it was time to move or because they said, all right, your time here is up. It's time to leave. We left the Philippines because a volcano erupted. Got to go. You know, it's not like you see the, like hurricanes or stuff where people are like, no, we're going to stick here. We're going to stick it out. No, you're going to die. You got to leave. So... We, I, had a, I forgot to tell you, we had my baby sister was born there. We actually adopted her from there. It was amazing. And so we moved from the Philippines. And that was a tr- dramatic ordeal. Uh, we, I think we were on an aircraft carrier at one point, went in a helicopter. We were on a boat. I think we slept in a nightclub that was in the shape of an airplane during this whole nonsense. It was crazy. We left the Philippines. And this is when real tragedy struck the household, guys. This was, this was a rough season. We had to live in Hawaii. I feel the sympathy. It was awful, guys. Terrible. It's like 75 degrees every single day. Even when it was raining, it was just gorgeous outside. It's terrible. Oh, man. Hawaii was amazing. I never wanted to leave. In fact, we never wanted to leave so much. In fact, because this was really the first time we lived anywhere. We had like our whole family, my mom, my dad, my sisters, all of us were there. It was kind of like that was our first real like living as children in, in our home. Like it was in America kind of. And so we had things like cable, which we didn't know existed. And we could watch like TV that didn't have weird subtitles in it. And it was amazing. Um, and so when it was time to leave, dad came home and he was like, all right, guys, I'm, I need everybody in the living room. Um, we're moving. And it didn't matter where he said. He could have said, we're moving and we are, uh, uh, we're going to an actual paradise with candy walls and, and ice cream floors. Wouldn't have mattered to us. We didn't want to leave. We laid on the ground just sobbing and crying and crying and crying. And, and dad thought maybe if he told us where we're moving, it'd make us feel better. So he told us, we're moving to Italy. Didn't care. Just wanted to live in Hawaii. Real brat about it, real spoiled little baby about it. So we moved to Italy, and I was changed. If you've never been to Italy, I highly recommend you spend four years living there because it is outstanding. It beat Hawaii down. It was awesome. I mean... I don't know. I just can't even talk about how great it was. Every city was beautiful. We lived in the shadow of the Alps. Like, it was a 30-minute drive to a beautiful ski resort. We had, Venice was like an hour away. It took two and a half hours to get to Florence. You could do anything. It was a paradise. Italy is amazing. I highly recommend it. So I really, really never wanted to leave. And then it was that time to come into the living room and tell us again it's time to leave. And was very upset about it. Didn't really want to leave. And so we moved to a, a little country you might have heard of called Germany. And uh, let me just tell you, when you stack up Spain, California, Florida, Philippines, Hawaii, Italy versus Germany, Germany is a nice country. Don't get me wrong. But if you put them on a scale, Germany loses. All right? It's cold all the time. It's landlocked. It's kind of, it's not Italy. <laughs> it's not the same. And so... I, as soon as we got there, I just immediately wanted to leave. Like, I, I didn't want to be there. So I was real whiny about it. Um, but finally, moved back to America. But man, I want to go back to Italy. Like, literally, I, I want to go back. If you guys, let's all go. I really keep hoping that God is going to call me to like a pasta maker ministry. Like, they need Jesus. And I would love to give it to them. I really would. Let's go back to Italy. Rome, in particular. Rome. What a weird, crazy, historically rich city. Let's look at it really quick. 
So here's our good friend Rome. It's a beautiful city, old buildings. The crazy thing to me, and, and you'll figure out why this is crazy in a minute, is there's crosses everywhere. There's crosses everywhere. There's crosses on the tops of buildings, in the really, really old buildings. Even in the Colosseum, there are just crosses everywhere. Which, when you think about the history of Rome, it's kind of miraculous that those symbols representing Jesus exist in that city. It's kind of crazy. So, you know what? Let's go check. Let's, let's go back in time, if you don't mind. Let's, let's get into the DeLorean. I put extra seats in it so we can all fit. Uh, it's a Back to the Future reference. Come on, guys. Plug into society. It's worth it. Uh, let's get into DeLorean. We're going to put the flux capacitor on. We're going to hit up to 88 miles an hour. And boom, here we are. We're in Rome. Now, we're here in AD 64, and this is right after the great fire set by Nero, who he decided it'd be easier if he just blamed all the Christians for this fire. So that's the city that we're in. Christians aren't treated very well right now. In fact, they are the number one most deplorable group of people in the empire. Here's what Tacitus, a senator and a historian, said about Christians at this time, how they were treated. Nero falsely accused and executed with the most exquisite punishments. I like that's a strange word to use, exquisite. For those people called Christians who were infamous for their abominations. Not a big fan of Christians. They were killed by dogs by having the hides of beasts attached to them, or they were nailed to crosses or set aflame. And when the daylight passed away, they were used as nighttime lamps. This is the Rome where we are now. It's a hostile, angry, divided Rome. Christians are universally hated, but there's also groups of people that hate and fear Nero, and there's also people that love Nero. And do you think these two groups get along? Not really. It's a divided Rome, and it just burned, so it smells like burnt toast everywhere. It's not a great place to be, and we're going to go and try to find some of these Christians. Now, we're going to have to go outside the city, because there's no way there's any in here, and we're going to go out, and we're going to find them in this little huddled mass of people in a barn, hiding from everybody. Let's say we get to them. If we did, maybe... I don't know, I might say something like this. Guys, check it out. Listen. Did you know that one day Rome, the city that you're terrified of, will be adorned with crosses? Now, I know what you're thinking. Not the kind of crosses that they're nailing you to, that they're killing you with. But no, no, no. These are metal, the decorative crosses. They're decorative. And they all represent one thing, one person. The one sacrifice on that cross that really, really meant something. And that's Jesus. Yeah, the guy that you guys worship and love. There will be everywhere. Not only that, you know that building Nero's Circus, that thing that he built where he's destroying your friends and family, where he's using you as entertainment to kill and destroy, and he's, he's hanging you on crosses in that place, it's going to be torn down. And on that exact location, right there, you're going to see the most famous, most beautiful Christian cathedral on the planet. And they're going to name it after that guy, Peter, that you guys know. They're going to name it after him, and it's going to have the world's most beautiful art, all of it depicting the story of God's love and redeeming act for you. I don't think they would believe me. In fact, I think they'd look at me and say, no, that's, no, please don't say that to us. That's ridiculous. Rome is forever. We will always be hated. We will always be persecuted. This group of people, this is it. This is the church of Rome. You're speaking to all of them. We can't do that. We can't make this movement much bigger than it already is. If it gets any bigger, it's just going to get destroyed. We have to stay small. How would Rome ever surrender 
to us, and yet, a few generations later, everything's changed. The city's turned upside down. And I'll tell you, it didn't happen because that group of people decided it would be best to live a comfortable Christian life. It didn't happen because they decided that they would meet together once a week and then go live their lives and then come back again and do it again. That's not how it happened. It happened because, look, guys, God calls us a lot of things. He calls us his beloved, his children, royal priesthood, co-heirs with Christ. He has a lot of really good labels and names for us. None of them include comfortable Christian people. He did not call you into that. The reason that this kind of change was able to happen is because that group of people seriously took the labels that God gave them, lived them out in such a way as if there was no other choice and the world was flipped upside down. So you know what? Let's go back even further. Let's go back to when this movement, I think you could say this is when the movement started, when we go to the Sermon on the Mount. All right, Matthew 5. Now let's get into this. Let's, let's get into the mentality. Okay. So here we are, we're in, we're in, uh, where are we? Galilee, that's where we are. We're in Galilee, and it's a full city. It's a lot of people in here, and you're not really sure why. And then you hear the rumor, oh, it's because Jesus is on the way. He's just outside the city, he's going to walk through, and everybody, it just, you got to be here. So we're here, and there's people from everywhere. There's people from that place called the Decapolis, which is the 10 Greek cities. There's people from beyond the Jordan. There's people from Jerusalem here. There's people from all of Judea. There are non-Jews here. There are Jews here. We're not even supposed to talk to these people, but I don't care, because Jesus is coming. He's walking, there he is, he's walking through the city. He's healing everybody. Doesn't matter what you've got. You can just be in a bad mood. Show up and Jesus will fix it. He's healing everything. Sicknesses, paralysis, epileptics. Uh, people with no eyesight are seeing. And I'm watching this happen. Oh my, this is ridiculous. And there he goes. He's leaving the city and he's going up on a hill. Okay, now, I don't know if you guys have been in this town very long, but when, when guys like this go on a hill, it's usually because they're going to talk to us and say something. And there he goes. He's sitting. He sits down. Okay, when, when rabbis sit down, that means they're going to say something. So it's time to pay attention. I cannot believe this. Jesus, the guy that's done all these things, he just healed everybody. He, he just healed my cousin who couldn't walk. He's going to talk and say things. He's going to actually teach us. He's going to share the secrets, the great magical masterpiece of words. It's just going to flow and we're going to be changed. It's going to be awesome. Remember that? Remember that scene in Forrest Gump? And he's running all the time, and then he just, he's done, and he turns around, and he's about to say something, and everybody's like, shh. Imagine this whole city just shuts up. Jesus sits down. It's about to go down. He is about to tell them the secret sauce of how to be like him, how he is going to get rid of all their oppressors, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and everything's going to be fixed. So he gets there and he opens his mouth. Everyone's quiet and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. No, no, Jesus, hands up, pay attention. Um, no, that's, this, is, this isn't the real message, right? This is a joke. You, you know where we are? We're in the Roman Empire. We're in the empire of people that say, if you are stronger, you win. 
We can't be poor in spirit. We need great strength of spirit. We can't be peacemakers. We need to be warmongers and get rid of these people. We can't be merciful. Do you know what they've been doing to our family? They take our money. We need vengeance. Don't tell me to be merciful. Well, you're saying to me that what you want from us, your big message is that we should be poor, sad, meek, righteous, merciful, pure, peaceful, persecuted, insulted people waiting for a reward in heaven? That's it? Do some more miracles. This is not what they wanted to hear at all. Then he keeps going. Matthew 5, 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Okay. When he says that, it's heard in a certain way. We need to make sure we kind of get connected with what he means. What he doesn't mean is you are that thing that you put on potatoes to make them edible. He's, it's not the thing that you put on the turkey that your mom didn't make right, so you've got to give it something. That's, that's not what he means. He doesn't mean you're a thing that occasionally gets used to make things better. Salt, this is, this is, let me show you what people in those days said about salt. Homer, he wrote Iliad, the Odyssey. He said it was the divine substance. There's something magical about this thing. And then Plato, he said it was a substance dear to the gods. These are not Jesus followers that heard this and said, well, we got to make salt something. These are people that just lived and knew salt was valuable. Think about living life without a refrigerator. You got nothing to keep your stuff cold. You got nothing to keep your stuff preserved. It's going to go away. It's going to decompose. Salt is a preservative. Well, what's a preservative? Well, let me show you. A substance added to food to prevent decomposition due to chemical change or bacterial action. Salt was needed. And Jesus said, you are the preservative of the entire earth. You are the salt, the preservers. Without you, the world will decompose. You are the salt of the earth. Now, again, this is not a world that needed mercy and peace and all these things. They thought they needed vengeance, anger, and punishment. They thought that Jesus was there to destroy all the people that made their life harder and fix everything. So when he's saying, you are salt... You are light. I feel like they might have had, a, a, again, just a very, maybe, maybe even sort of an angry response. Like, Jesus, how are we supposed to be salt? And I, I get what you're saying. You, you think we're supposed to make things better. We're supposed to point the way forward. But Jesus, we can't be a city on a hill if we don't own our own city. This isn't even ours anymore. It's been taken away. Maybe you should do your part. Get involved and fix these problems. Then we can be salt and light all day. Give us back our city. Put yourself or, you know, I don't know, somebody on the throne that gets us. And then we'll be fine. Everything will be okay. Just, you know, fix these major problems. Put us in power and control. Then we can do these things. But see, Jesus says, no, no, you don't understand. I'm not going to give you control. I'm not going to give you the power. In fact, you have no standing. But you are the last stand. He says, you don't need the power. You don't need the control. All you need is me. You need me. You are the salt. You are the light. And you know what? Here's the crazy thing. Let's, let's fast forward a little bit. It worked. Think, 
about how we see the world now. It's, it's, it's not exactly perfect, and there's still lots of problems, but it's, it's not really about might makes right anymore. We, we understand and we value things like compassion and mercy and, and, and even love a little bit. We, we value those things. In this day, that wasn't the case. The only thing that mattered was who was stronger. And if you were stronger, you could literally do whatever you wanted. And it didn't matter. It's a little different now. And let me tell you, it's not different because things just sort of changed. It's different because Jesus laid down something and said, this is the standard. And Christians who believed in him and followed him and let him impact their lives put this into place. They lived aggressively loving lifestyles and it took hold. Look at the way we value children. Do you have any idea how different that was in Jesus' day? Even the disciples found them to be a pest, tried to shoo them away. And Jesus was like, no, no. If you want to know me, you need to be like them. And that, there's, there's nothing more valuable to, in our lives than our children. I mean, this was a day when children were readily offered up for sacrifice. If you needed to bless your harvest, give them a kid, throw it in a fire. It'll be fine. This was how they, they sold their children routinely. Now, again, I'm not telling you the world is perfect. What I'm telling you is, is that's not acceptable now. And it's not just because we became civilized. There's an ethic that was woven into us at the beginning. Because here's the other thing that salt does. Salt, when you put salt on, on, on potatoes, it's not that you're tasting salt. You're tasting the flavors that exist in those potatoes that salt draws out and places right there on the top. There is a, there is a certain ethic woven into you from the very beginning that when we are salt, it is drawn out of us. We weren't meant to be broken, messed up individuals. We were meant to be loving creatures who were devoted to their God. And that's the flavor that salt draws out of the world when we get in and do what God's called us to do. So it may seem like we aren't making progress, but I promise you, the world is different today because of what these men and women did. Because of what Jesus taught, and because of that aggressively loving lifestyle, the world is turned upside down. You see, Jesus told his disciples by this, by this one thing, this one thing, this thing called love, how you love each other is how they will know that you belong to me. He didn't say... As long as you go to church every Sunday, the world will be changed. As long as you follow the rules, everything's going to be fine. By this one thing, how you love one another, that is how the world will know. And you know, he even went a step further. He told them, he was like, look, when you pray, when you talk to God, I want you to call him our father. Makes it personal no longer just this Jupiter sitting up there every once in a while messing with, messing with people when he feels like it. No, this is a personal, loving being who wants to be in relationship with you. Call him our father. That's different. That's new. Then Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. 
But maybe we say, I don't, I don't want to be the light of the world. I don't want to. I, I just want to be a Christian and go to heaven when I die. Can you just maybe let me do that? I don't want to be a light. I, I, I prayed the prayer. I go to church. I do the things I'm supposed to do. I, I don't want to do this extra stuff. This is extra. I just want to be a Christian. Can you please just let me do that? Jesus says, I don't know where you got that from. I didn't teach that. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he goes on. He says, Matthew 5, 14 again, he says, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, when Matthew writes this, he uses a word more like placed. You know, so set or placed, put there, not built. You see, you don't have to build the city. It's already built. You don't have to do all that work. You get to reap a harvest that you didn't sow. You are a city set on a hill, placed on a hill. You are a strategically placed town. No, I'm not. Not me. I, I just like hanging with teenagers, so this, that's why I'm here. No, if you're my follower, you are a city placed on a hill, strategically located. Nope. I moved here because I got a job here, and this is literally the closest church to my house, and so that's why I'm here. No. You are light. You are salt. You are a strategically placed town. Then he said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father is in heaven. That's a lot of stuff to do. And Jesus says, I want you to live your life in such a way, not, not so that people just look at you and say, aw, that's a nice guy. No, Jesus wants you to go beyond that. He wants you to do the kind of things that people say, what is that guy's deal? Who is that nice? I'm, I was sick and they just kept bringing me meals. I'm not even hungry anymore. My freezer is full and there's just meals and meals and meals. Man, they, they, they don't really, I mean, it seems like they don't approve of my lifestyle, but my God, they love me. They love me. I don't know why. I mean, they're church people, which kind of freaks me out, but they're just so generous. They just keep giving and I don't understand you see, Jesus wants us to go beyond that first step, that comfortable step. He wants us to push beyond and live a life that allows the dots to be connected between the way that we're living and who we claim to belong to. Some of us are great at this. Some of us are doing this exactly as we should be. There are others, and, and honestly, guys, I, I don't know what camp I lie in. There are others who are just happy to live the comfortable Christian life. That's okay with us. We'll live that way. And we'll go to heaven when we die. But we need to remember something, that Jesus never called you into that life, ever. Search the scriptures. Use a concordance. Use Google. Try and find where Jesus said, just chill. Take it easy. Try and find it. You see, these guys in the beginning, the ones that we were meeting in that barn outside of Rome, they got it. They understood 
And they took those labels seriously. One of my favorite stories is about the plague of Cyprian. In Rome at this time, there was this enormously dangerous and murderous plague running through the empire. Everyone was getting touched by it and everyone was dying. The, the emperors were getting it and they were dying. Rome was a ghost town and people would leave the city to get away from it and go live in the country. And as they were, they would bump shoulders with Christians going back in. Because those Christians knew something had to be done. And it wasn't that they ran in to go and heal and bring everybody back to life. Maybe they tried, but it didn't work. What they did was they stood there and sat with people who were dying, held their hands, brought them water, preserved the love that was left in that city. And and Roman historians and people wrote about it. And it began to connect the dots. These people aren't afraid to die. These people place others' lives higher than their own. What is wrong with them? The dots began to connect. Not because of good preaching. It was not because of good teaching. It was because of their aggressively loving lifestyle. And you know what I know too? They didn't do it for glory. They didn't run back into that city and hold the hands of dying people so that they'd be remembered forever. Because I may remember the story. I don't know any of their names. There's no monument. There's no statue of the men that went back into the city. All there is is a story that points us back to the love that God has for people. They were salt. And they were light. And you know, here's what I think Jesus would say to us today. I think he'd say, don't settle for a comfortable Christian life. I, don't, I never called you into that. But be salt and be light. Now, I've been taught to teach from my weakness because that way I never run out of examples. And today is one of those moments for sure where I desperately need to hear this message and live it out as well. I'm not trying to teach to you here from some pedestal where I'm saying, look, I'm living this way, you should too. I need to do this. I need to take these labels seriously just as much as any of us. And you know, a lot of us, including myself, might be sitting there thinking, well, you don't know my life. You don't know my circumstance. My situation is really complicated, and I I just need to focus on me and my family right now. And you know what? Maybe that's true. I, I honestly don't know. I don't know a lot of you. I don't know what your situations are. Here's one thing, however, that I do know. If you are a Christ follower, you are so because someone else was salt and light in your life. If you are a Christ follower, it's not because you fell into it. It's because someone else was salt and light in your life. And you know what? They may not have even known that they were. Because to be honest, most people who are salt and light that are really living into these labels, they're not walking around proclaiming it. They don't constantly go up to people, hi, my name's Nick. I'm going to be salt in your life. I'm going to make everything better. What are your problems? That's not how they do it. It's really not even a choice. It's just the way that they live changes things. My old youth pastor's name was Craig. And he, to this day, probably has no idea that because he, dis- he agreed to be my math tutor for three months, that my life was redirected. Because all of a sudden I saw someone outside of my family who took an interest and cared whether or not I understood algebra. For some reason, just clicked something in and something was turned on that I didn't know that I had. 
And then later when we were at camp and I got caught sneaking out of my cabin, which is something I was really good at, Craig caught me. And at this point, there was, you know, it was a bunch of churches, so they kind of had a disciplinary committee, and they decided, because I did that, that I was going to miss the night activity, and I had to spend the night doing dishes and picking up trash all over camp. Now, Craig was kind of in charge of the camp, and so he had a lot of things to do. And here's what Craig did that forever redirected me. He went through that punishment with me. He left his responsibilities that night. He, he, I think he was even supposed to teach. I think he had somebody else do it. And he sat with me and did dishes with me. He walked with me and picked up trash with me. Even when he didn't have to. Now, I know that's no Christians running into the plague of Cyprian, but what Craig did redirected me. He was salt and light in my life. And he's part of the story of why I am the Christ follower I am today. And you know, I hear these stories all the time. As a youth pastor, often parents will come to me and tell me, Nick, thank you so much for what you did for my kid. And I'm like, which one's yours? <laughs> I remember this story. It was a long time ago. Man, I was, we were at a worship service. It was like a, a, like a thing right before uh, they go back to school. And it was kind of an intense service. People were praying a lot. And there was this one kid, I, I didn't really know him very well, but he was kind of new. And I just felt like I wanted to do something. He's praying and I, I didn't want to interrupt him. I didn't want to say anything. So I really just kind of went over, tapped him on the shoulder and said, I'm here, buddy. And he just kind of nodded and went on. I was like, oh, well, right, whatever. Two weeks ago, his mom uh, sends me an email and she says, Nick, you have no idea what you did for my son. She said, he was there, he was praying and he was really conflicted, really struggling whether or not he believed that God existed. And he said, he prayed, I just wish someone would, would let me know that he's there. Just, God, I need you to tell me you're here. And that's when I tapped his shoulder and said, I'm here. We know our Heavenly Father. We have assurance about our eternity because somebody was salt and light in our lives. Students, teachers, athletes, musicians, bosses, employees, homeschoolers, moms, dads, grandparents, you are salt in your schools, your businesses, your homes, your teams, your... Nope, I'm not. I'm just a freshman. Nobody listens to me. You're salt. You're light. You're a strategically placed town. No, I'm not. I'm the boss of my area. I can't be sharing my faith. I can't be doing those kinds of things. That's not, that's not kosher. You are salt. You are light. You're a strategically placed town. No, I, my, I homeschool four children. I barely have enough time to brush my teeth, let alone be salt and light to anybody. You're salt. You're light. You're a strategically placed town. And here's something we need to hold on to really tightly. Salt always preserves and light always shows the way. Salt works when you don't want it to. Light works even when you don't know it's working. And when we push past that comfortable life that we so deeply desire, you will begin to see the effects of that salt and light. When we let our good deeds shine in such a way that people begin to connect the dots between what we do and who we proclaim to belong to, you will see the effects of salt and light. And when everybody is doing something that you know you shouldn't do, even if you're the only one, you don't do it because you're salt. 
Everybody else says, well, this is just the way our business works. This is just the way the industry is. But it rubs up against your follow Jesus ethic. Maybe you decide that you're not going to do it that way. And if that bothers people, that irritates them a little bit, that's okay. That's what salt is supposed to do. And here's the thing. Salt always preserves And maybe you act that way. Maybe you don't go along with everybody. Maybe you don't follow the flow. Maybe you don't do what everybody's done because that's how it's always been done. And you decide you're going to do it the way that your Jesus ethic draws you into. And maybe someday people will look back and say, you know, I worked with that woman. She was, she was a little strange. She didn't do things the way everybody else did. But man, I, I, I figured out one day she was a Christian and that really kind of solved a lot of problems for me, answered a lot of questions. I still think she's crazy, but man, she was different. Guys, that might be all it takes. Just the thought that you are different. Wherever you are, Jesus says, you're salt. And light always shows the way. Let me tell you a little story. So I was, my first church I ever worked in was in Kingwood, Texas, like North Houston. It's this really kind of wealthy suburb for, I think Exxon actually built it for their employees. And uh, so I was the youth pastor there for a little while. And I got to know uh, these two guys, Ryan and, and this one guy, Ryan, is, is this girl, Kayla. And they were really annoying, to be honest, when I first met him. Ryan was always a sweet kid, and he was my youth worship leader. But I literally could not get him to stop wearing Crocs to, to Sunday service every Sunday. Like, he would be up there leading worship, wearing Crocs. And that's not a big deal, but man, it, I don't know. It just bothered me. And Kayla was a nutcase, man. She... Uh, I, she was an intern for us one summer, and I, and I, the first day of the intern thing, I was like, look, this is going to date it a little bit. I need you to organize these CDs. Uh, we had like a hundred different CDs that were all out of whack, and I was like, Kayla, can you please organize these? Never did it. Whole summer. Every other week, I had a reminder, can you please do it? She never did it. Ryan and Kayla um, eventually got married. I was the officiant at their wedding, and it was, a, it was amazing. It was a beautiful day. Um, you know, and I gave them a lot of advice. I don't think they followed any of it, but Ryan and Kayla, uh, Kayla actually took over my position when I left, and um, there was this apartment complex right next to the church. It was kind of a lower income area, and this was in Kingwood, where, you know, most houses started at 450 uh, just to buy them, you know, and it was an expensive area. And so this is one little apartment complex, and finally, some kids started coming over to the church. It was a couple blocks away. And there was this one group of kids that showed up, and they just kept coming, and they were a real pain. I don't know if any of you have ever worked with students, but these are the kind of kids that you just sort of pray as you're praying for them. You're like, God, please, if, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Uh, and, you, you know, you end it with like, and God, I'm, I'm not saying anything. You know, I just want you to know Valley Creek is a great church, and it's right over there. They could, <laughs> you know, you don't want them to not have church, but you're like, maybe they could go somewhere else. Um, so these kids were terrible. They were disruptive. They were bringing, like, they, they got caught bringing alcohol to church one time. Like, they were just nuts. But they just kept showing up. And so Ryan and Kayla kind of got to know them pretty well, and they liked them. I think they were in Ryan's, two of them were in Ryan's small group at the time. And one day, they, they needed a ride home. They, it was dark, and it was cold, and, and it was like the one night a week it was cold in Houston. And they, Ryan and were like, all right, well, we'll take you home. And so Ryan and Kayla bring them back to their apartment. And they're walking up the stairs. And the way Ryan tells it is he could smell it before they got in. It was just 
the smell of abandonment. You know, they walked in and it just hit them. You know, you could tell they had dogs because they probably hadn't been let out in weeks. Uh, there was no power on. The power had been shut off. The, there was nothing in the refrigerator. There was nothing in the pantry. They didn't have mattresses. They had towels balled up on the floor. Um, it was obvious that there had been no adults there for a while. And now don't miss this because this is sort of a key point. This is the decision point, right? Maybe we've walked into a situation like this before. Maybe we've seen something that we could help out with, but it's just not what we don't feel comfortable with it. This is the decision point where they could very easily just be like, well, guys, I'm glad we got you home. Good luck to you. See you Sunday and leave. You know, they, they could, have been, could have been like this. This is one of my favorites. You know, just. <laughs> it's the decision point. For many of us, we would walk away. Honestly, if I'm being really frank with you guys, I don't know what I would do. I can't sit here and say I would definitely dive in and help. I might have walked away. I might have. But Ryan and Kayla, they didn't. They were led by something greater than self-preservation. They were led by something greater than making the common sense decision. They were salt and light for those kids and they got involved. And two weeks later, they were foster parents to those kids. And six months later, they were placed in a, in, a, in a better sort of family situation with everything they needed. And those kids began a brand new life. And it wasn't because Ryan and Kayla decided to do the comfortable thing. In fact, when I first heard about it, again, I'll be honest with you guys, I thought it was a stupid thing. I thought they were being real idiots. I even told them when they got married, dude, don't get a dog for at least the first year. They didn't get a dog, but they did get three kids, three teenage children. But the impact that they've had on those kids' life will never be erased. Because of the salt and light love of Ryan and Kayla, they all know and love Jesus now. Guys, don't miss this. We have no clue. We have no clue. Who around us is on the verge of a breakthrough because of us being salt and light? We have no idea where that fertile soil is that if we just plant one little seed, everything will change. And we may never know the end of those stories. That doesn't matter. Because here's the fact. Salt always preserves. Light always shows the way. Well, why don't, why don't you just, just move in with her? Life will be easier. Just move in with her because it doesn't feel right. Just make the deal. Just make the deal. Just sign the papers. It's not that big a deal. It doesn't feel right. Don't get involved with that. That's not your business. Just leave it alone. I've got to. Don't run into that city. There's dying people there. I'm going. Don't take care of these kids. They're maniacs. They're mine now. You are salt and you are light. Let's not settle for that comfortable Christian life. Let's, let's live boldly into the labels that Jesus himself placed on us. These aren't suggestions. It's not, you know, if you want to be, you can be salt. 
It's not if you feel like and you're in the right mood and you've prayed enough and done enough devo- devotionals that you can be light of the world. You are salt. You are the great preservers of the world. And if you don't believe me, take a step back and just let the world do what it's going to want to do. See how it works out. Turn off your refrigerator for a couple weeks. See how that goes. Salt always preserves. Light always shows the way. And when we live into that ethic, the world can be changed. Let's not settle. Your salt, your light, you're a strategically placed town. You have no idea who's on the verge of a breakthrough. Let's accept the names that God has given us. And let's watch the world change. Let me pray. God, you're so good and wonderful. And I thank you that you've used me in the way that you've used me, Father, but I need more of you. This church, we need more. We need to push beyond this comfortable life that many of us have settled into, including myself. God, push us. God, draw us out as salt draws out the great flavors that you wove into the world. Father, draw us out of ourselves and place us where we need to be. God, remind us that we are strategically placed and that we can preserve and we can show the way and that our good deeds can show people who truly loves them. And that's you, God. We want to serve you. Help us.